Wayfair 515, Albuquerque Center, Roger, climb and maintain 13000. Riding down a trail to Albuquerque, saddlebags all filled with beans and Welcome to the City on the Edge podcast with your hosts, Nora Hickey, Mike Smith, and Ty Bannerman. Much like Los Angeles to me. Hey, welcome back to City on the Edge. Uh, it's kind of an old school episode with Ty and Mike on Zoom. What's up? And why are we on Zoom? Because my daughter has been exposed to COVID. And I'm actually sitting right next to a, um, a COVID test for myself. And uh, we can see whether I'm positive right here on the show. Whoa. Yeah, so that's, that's exciting. I mean, if this were a live episode, that would be better. But um, right. it's still exciting. find out that you have it. This is going to be really horrible. <laughs> yeah, it'll be awful. What was I thinking? <laughs> well, it's too late to stop now. Um, How are you okay. doing? Oh, pretty good, you know. Uh, Still seeking gainful employment, yeah. Riding, uh, chasing children around, right? The household, um, and driving them everywhere. No, uh, yeah. No but, COVID um, for you. But overall, I do feel like I have lifelong symptoms now. Like I'm just gonna always have had COVID and like feel lessened by it. But you know, and. Like now I'm, I'm, it makes it, it makes you wonder and second guess like everything. Like I've seen some people report this uh, mixing words up, using the word for another. Oh yeah, I do that all the time. Oh, I just yeah. thought it was dementia, oh. but maybe it's COVID. Crap, that's the timer going off right now. So I'm gonna look at it, and uh, it looks like it is. It's negative. Uh, the, the blue stripe means it's negative. So. Uh, good for me it's just regular cool. old dementia early onset dementia that's causing okay. me to mix up my words um well, so i was worried it was something serious well after so. uh, after talking about our possible exposure to uh, a dreadful virus maybe i should talk about the big parade i went to this weekend oh did you really go to a big parade i did it was the it was the pride oh. parade which oh happened on saturday uh, in August, instead of, you know, it usually happens in June every year. But they, oh, oh, yeah. We went last year, tomorrow, and Anna and I, to G- the June one. Yeah. And, uh, and you um, know, to my credit, I had no reason to think anyone had been exposed at that point. And I was wearing right. my mask and my daughter. And we, uh, we consciously tried to maneuver ourselves so that we had a, a good bit of space around us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were trying to be safe. But in retrospect, it's yeah. like, oh, maybe the huge parade wasn't the best idea. And nobody else was masked at all that I could see, like, very few people, which sort of surprised me. <laughs> so when's the last time you went to the uh, the Pride Parade, Mike? Uh, last year, I took uh, Anodyne and Morrow and um, as a straight male married to a woman, you know, it's not... Uh, something I make a point out of going to every year or anything, but I do think it's important to show support and and right, uh you know like and you know solidarity solidarity and, absolutely and, also parades are generally speaking pretty great i mean that's true 
and they're That's just true. there aren't that many anymore like i remember we had a lot of just kind of your classic parades when i was a kid july 4th and christmas right. and all that and uh I mean, the ones in my hometown don't exist anymore. And as far as I can tell, there's not much in the way of parades happening in Albuquerque. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool that that what there is is the uh, the Pride Parade and then the Twinkle Light Parade, which I'm not really a fan of. It's Oh, there's that one. Yeah. It's cold. Yeah, it's always... cold. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know. One year, it just seemed like it was all uh, like short-term loan places, you know? Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. Everything gets taken over. There was like a, a charter school that I guess was kind of um, like ROTC, like, and they had the, they had like a float decorated like a helicopter, and the kids were, um, they had like machine guns made out of, you know, toilet paper tubes or something, and they were, uh, they were pointing them at the crowd, and it was just like, eh, there's something um, about you know the the season of peace on earth and brotherly love or whatever, and then here's the guys with the guns aiming their, uh, their pretend yeah. guns over the crowd. Um, Pride Parade still still it still seems pretty pretty great. Way too many um like judges seeking hmm, really? re-election, like just oh. so many judges seeking re-election. Right. And I don't know who any of them are, you know. I don't know I don't track uh, judges. All these uh totally like um predatory corporations that for one month out of the year paint themselves in rainbow colors and they're like bank of america loves gay people <laughs> why like, amazon really? was there in fact like <laughs> oh, really? yes. uh, but i did find out that it's uh, uh 45 years old this year the, oh, the pride in, parade in new mexico or overall in new mexico oh, well. specifically oh, okay. the albuquerque pride parade which i believe was the first pride parade in Al- in uh, in new mexico is yeah slightly younger than myself i was born in april 45 years ago and i believe the pride parade was uh june of that year it it kind of floated around um those first few years that's surprising it's that old uh, here because you know it's not the most progressive state (laughs) the most socially progressive yeah it's new mexico's an odd bag right it's a it's a mixed bag for sure and Albuquerque is not a huge metropolitan area; it never has been, not certainly not like San Francisco. Yeah. But um, so what I did was I decided to go digging into the uh, the archives to see what I could find out about the early days of Pride in uh, in Albuquerque. Cool. Um, which was took me about one Sunday of ignoring my family. Right. Um, Sometimes you gotta do that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I I got to the 70s. I feel like everything really changes once we hit 1980. Hmm. So I just kind of like looked at the 1970s to see uh, to see what I could find. Um, one thing that shocked me was uh, Stonewall, right? The, the birth of the um, right. modern gay rights movement wasn't even mentioned in any of the Albuquerque papers, including the local. Yeah, well, I don't want to give anyone any ideas. Apparently, you know, it's it's stuck in my mind as such a big seminal event. You know, the Stonewall resistance to uh, to the cops raiding um, the Stonewall Inn in New York and uh, right. Greenwich Village. Right, this kind of kicked off this at least a week anyway of um, of rebellion by the uh, by the LGBTQ people who were there. And that started the uh, LGBTQ movement, mm. and it's you know it's it's huge, but not even mentioned. 
Uh, instead, the day after the uh, the first events of Stonewall, the Albuquerque Journal um, talked about it being really hot in Albuquerque. Is this one of those things where you just don't really know something's going to be a huge deal until it's right you know, a year later? Yeah, what about the week after? I wonder if maybe it just took a little while. I looked while. and I couldn't find anything. The Lobos Credit School was out of session, so they probably weren't really publishing. Um, but the journal, I would have thought, would have had some uh, national news on the subject. Right. Interesting. A year later, in October of 1970, started to get those first uh, first rumblings of the, uh, the gay rights movement here hmm. in New Mexico. And a Daily Lobo journalist named Sarah Laidlaw was inspired to report on the lives of several gay students at UNM all of whom were living closeted lives at that time. Hmm. Uh, she does start out the article by saying that the stereotype of a homosexual man, quote, running around in a bleached blonde wig, falsies, raging red lipstick, and seamed stockings is not necessarily true of all gay men. So that's the, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's the assumed starting point for the audience at that point. Hmm mentioned a gay uh, man that that's that's the that's what she thought that they would probably picture hmm. uh, but the reporting is actually pretty great i mean she uh she shows the diversity of um of people who are in non of non-heterosexual orientation she talks to a gay man a gay woman a bisexual woman and um, kind of the saddest one is uh, a person who is at that point living as a woman uh, who is hoping to get a gender reassignment surgery by the time they are 21. And they state mm. that if they're unable to do so, they'll kill themselves by the time they're 30. Oh, that's so sad. So, yeah. yeah. That's horrible. And I, I think she did a good job. She was very sensitive to these stories. She allowed these students to frame their own experiences um, again, that kind of the bias of the time creeps in. She asks them, you know, at that point, homosexuality was considered a mental illness. And she asks them whether they consider themselves mentally ill. And all of them reject it completely out of hand. They're like, no, I don't think I'm mentally ill at all. I'm completely secure in, a, in who I am. Although um, the trans person does feel that if they have the surgery for gender reassignment, that'll make a huge difference in their lives as being accepted as a man. So, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rough. I mean, that, that particular one. Interestingly, the, the students who identified as, as gay seem to feel pretty okay about their lives and their identity. Hmm. Um, the trans woman seemed like they were having the hardest time. Interesting. So well, the next, what's that? Oh, well, I'm just, not just thinking about, you know, the difference in the decades and, you know. Yeah, and yet, I mean, I feel like that particular cross-section of people she spoke to, um, they don't seem that dissimilar to people you would speak to today. Right other than I would hope that the, the trans person would have access to the kind of support services that would make it so that they didn't feel suicidal or, or at least felt su supported, right. which I, I don't feel like existed at that point in, in 1970. 
So in February of 1971, a group of UNM students formed the Gay Liberation Front, which uh, obviously promoted gay rights, but explicitly promoted other issues as well. Uh, the president was Dan Butler, and he stated that people in gay liberation are more militant than the people in older homosexual groups. We want freedom for all different kinds of people. And, and they protested against the Vietnam War and, you know, for, um, for racial justice, civil rights, that sort of thing as well. Their first organized event was a dance in the UNM ballroom. And then later they brought gay minstrels to perform guerrilla theater on the UNM mall. Hmm. Off campus though, uh, Albuquerque's LGBT community was pretty quiet at this point. This is the early seventies. They don't really get much notice, at least in the paper until the mid seventies. Hmm. And that's when a group, uh, a church called the Metropolitan Community Church arrives in town. It's a national organization that provides space for spiritual worship and is explicitly accepting of uh, LGBTQ congregants. And I think they are actually still around. Is, uh, is that the one near Jefferson Middle School? Is that? I don't a, think that uh, is. I think that's a Presbyterian oh, church, okay. but they're definitely very open, right? Yeah, they've got like nice inclusive signs, like welcoming everybody around it. Right. Rainbow colored sign and stuff. Yeah. So the, uh, the MCC um, in 1976 helped to organize the first actual gay pride celebration in Albuquerque, which they called the Christopher Street Celebration in honor of the Stonewall resistance, which hmm. is also the first reference to Stonewall that I could find in the Albuquerque papers. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's what it takes sometimes. Somebody else has got to bring the stuff up and force the story to happen. You know that that that's interesting, right? Huh. Um, and that seemed to have been the the catalyst for the uh, LGBTQ movement in Albuquerque. Hmm. Um, so the Metropolitan Community Church and the Gay Liberation Front were soon joined by the Albuquerque Gay Co-op, which produced Gay Liberation Radio on KUNM. And then in 1978, a, uh, a former bank, which had become a failing lounge on East Central, was taken over by the Albuquerque Social Club. They were connected to the Universal Life Church, which is, hmm. the, uh, which is the organization that ordained me to perform a service at your, uh, at your wedding, Mike. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know what? I was ordained in that once, too. I married some friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I didn't know we were fellow ministers in the Universal Life Church. We are. I'm also a minister in the, the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Oh, hilarious. Yeah. I just wasn't sure that... which one would get here first. And, um, oh, that's funny. You signed up for both. But I was surprised to see that, that the Albuquerque Club, which, um, which you know, still exists today, had a, had a scare that it was going to close this last year, like so many places. Oh, I remember that. scare. Um, it still exists today, but I had no idea that it was affiliated at any point with the uh, Universal Life Church. But that was that was in their initial um, initial founding. Mm -hmm. And it's not That's super it. clear to me that they were always a uh, kind of a LGBTQ. I think they were probably always an LGBTQ friendly space, but how much they catered to that uh, group. Um, it's not real clear to me until about 1983, 
at which point there are meetings being held there to uh to plan for the the pride parades Mm. and i think at that point it was well and truly you know that's that's what they were so april 14th of that year uh that's 1978 when the albuquerque social club was founded um the gay co-op declared april 14th as gay pride day and if you were proud to be gay, you were asked to wear your blue jeans, which is kind of a joke because it's the 70s and literally everyone's wearing blue jeans. <laughs> and they said their, their reason for doing that was that they wanted everybody who knew about the event to have to consider whether or not they were going to wear their blue jeans that day um, because they felt like a lot of they felt like that was a, a sort of an allegory for living a closeted life, deciding how you were going to have to portray yourself that day. Uh, finally, 1979, the Albuquerque Journal, I'd say, caught up to the Daily Lobo with their first extensive article that actually like profiled Albuquerque's gay community. Hmm. 79. Yeah. So that's nine years after the uh, the Lobo's first article. Um, uh-huh. The Lobo, they're still leading the way. They're they're great. I I think, yeah. You know, you wonder what what was the pitch meeting like for this article at the at the journal? Had there been other pitches? You know, did they meet resistance? Not going to know. Um, the journal's article focused mainly on on the still closeted, non politically active community. Hmm. Um. And then they had some profiles of some folks who use pseudonyms and they spoke about their, their fear and, and how they felt alienated in Albuquerque, which they described as 30 years behind when it came to gay rights, um, somewhere like San Francisco. Interesting. The, uh, one of the ministers at the Metropolitan Community Church, uh, his name was Louis de Spain. Um, big figure at that time. Uh, he said that the city was not hateful necessarily, but this silence had evolved to both like it protected the gay community from overt discrimination, but mm. then it also caused kind of passive discrimination. Mm. So it was like people became afraid to come out because hardly anyone was coming out at that mm. point. So the majority of LGBTQ people in the city were living like this kind of compromised existence, uh, passing for straight at work and among family, and then reserving their expressions of, I guess, orientation for their home life or one of the few gay bars that provide safe haven. The article said there were two. They didn't mention the two, but we can assume one was, uh, was the um, social club, but I don't know what the second one was. Hmm. And uh, Despain said um, that unlike New York, this weird compromised existence had been sustainable. And since there hadn't been a crisis like Stonewall, um, the majority of LGBTQ folks in the city were willing to kind of accept the trade-offs that came with their closeted lifestyles. As the decade came to a close, however, this legacy of Stonewall was growing in Albuquerque. There were pride events to commemorate the uprising, but they typically attracted fewer than 
Um, I think I saw a figure of like 75 marchers and attendees at this point. There had been a few uh, stabs at like laws against discriminating against people for their sexual orientation, but they hadn't gained any traction. Um, instead, the, uh, the changes at that point were more in terms of organizations that supported and created safe space like the MCC and the gay co-op, which provided spiritual comfort and affirmative counseling. And that's, it, it seems like that had reached maybe a kind of equilibrium by the end of the the seventies and then the eighties happened. And in 1983, uh, two New Mexican men died of a mysterious immune compromising disease that recently been called AIDS. And that set the stage for the next phase of uh, gay rights in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which of course was like a more intense literal life or death fight for um, the recognition and uh, and support in terms of like healthcare and such. And that's, uh, that's of, where I wanted yeah. to stop today, but yeah, carry, carry on. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, speaking of terrible systemically neglected pandemics. Thank you for tuning into another episode of City on the Edge. If you enjoyed our show, tell your friends, like and share our stuff on social media, and check out our YouTube channel by searching for City on the Edge Albuquerque. This episode has been made possible by our supporters on Patreon, aka the coolest people on the planet. To join them in their support of our show and get exclusive access to content, t-shirts, and swag, go to patreon.com slash cityontheedge and sign up for one of the tiers starting as low as $1 a month. This has been a City on the Edge production.